Quidditchivist and Marcus Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and issues that we have been discussing here at Quidditchivist. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button for whichever streaming platform you are listening on, or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm Andrew Cartwright, investment manager based out of our Birmingham office, and this week I'm joined by regular commentator and head of fixed interest Richard Carter and fund research analyst Matt Enyans. Uh, welcome, Richard and Matt. So in terms of economic data and news from last week, the main headlines came from the European Central Bank, who left interest rates on hold for the fourth month in a row at a record high of 4%. And a consensus view from the ECB committee was that it was still too early to even discuss rate cuts, as pricing pressures have yet to be fully extinguished and many wage negotiations are still ongoing. In the UK, consumer confidence rose for the third consecutive month to a new two-year high, albeit it is still slightly in negative territory. The recent reductions in national insurance, falling mortgage costs and real rising wages were all cited by commentators as likely explanations. It was also announced that the US economy grew at an annualized rate of 3.3% during the last quarter of 2023 and 3.1% for the year as a whole, making it the world's fastest growing advanced economy. So, Richard, last week was fairly quiet, certainly in terms of the volume of news flow, but nevertheless, there were some important announcements from the ECB and, and those US GDP figures. But this week is likely to be far more interesting with both the US Federal Reserve and the Bank of England meeting to do, discuss interest rates. Firstly, was there anything that you thought was particularly noteworthy from last week? And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, with financial markets still very much being driven by the likely timing and speed of interest rate cuts in the US, what are your thoughts and expectations of those forthcoming central bank meetings? And how have markets been reacting recently in the run-up to those decisions? Yeah, good question, Andrew. I mean, I think I think sort of like you say, last week's announcements, um, not nothing massively shocking. I think still very much in the soft landing kind of narrative in a sense of growth is holding up, you know, talk and worry about recession, it just never seems to come to anything, does it really? Just Growth continues to hold up in, in particularly in the US, pretty well, uh, even even here as, as well a little bit. And, and inflation pressures seem to be easing as, as well, you know, absent kind of a major shock coming out of uh, you know what's happening in, in the Middle East. So it's it's all kind of good for uh, for markets, but it's not really pointing to any need for central banks to sort of cut rates imminently. And and that's I guess that's kind of the um, the slight change we've had this year, you know, earlier in the year, uh, start of the year, people expecting rate cuts pretty early in, in 2024. That's gradually getting pushed back as the data kind of continues to kind of surprise on the upside. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right. Big week, you know, big week for central banks. We've got the Fed meeting, we've got the Bank of England meeting. Um, and I think it will be, you know, they, they might move a little bit more in a, in a dovish direction. They might be sound a little bit more open to rate cuts at some point later this year. Uh, but like I've just been saying, the data doesn't point to any great urgency to do it now. Uh, and I think they'll say, particular Bank of England, that the job's not quite done on inflation um, and it needs a little bit more time, you know, with rates at pretty high levels before they're comfortable um, to cut interest rates. And I think kind of markets, you know, are kind of fine with that. They kind of understand that it, it, the central banks aren't going to rush into this, but they're still hoping that uh, as the year goes on, we will see uh, easier monetary policy. So I have to wait and see. I think Bank of England, um, potentially quite interesting on the split in the vote. So last month we had um, uh, six people voting for no change and three people on the MPC voting for rate hikes still. 
uh, maybe we'll start to see that move a little bit in a different direction of less people voting for rate hikes uh, and perhaps even people starting to think that rate cuts, uh, you know, are on the agenda for some of them. But but overall, the majority of the committee, I think, uh, still very much holding rates uh, high for the, for the time being. Now, we've heard uh, Richard regularly discussed um, bond markets and, and inflation uh, and the direct impact that interest rates have had, given the inverse relationship between bond yields and prices. And up until two years ago, UK interest rates have been less than 1% for well over a decade, and bond yields have reflected that. And during that time, infrastructure and commercial property provided a very useful alternative source of income, albeit with a, a different risk return profile to bonds, with yields typically in the region of 5 to 6%. But of course, interest rates have since spiraled to, to five and a quarter percent. And it's not been surprising that 2022 and 2023 were such difficult years for bonds in terms of prices and in particular long dated bonds, which are much more sensitive to interest rate changes. But last year was also very challenging for infrastructure investments. And it has become very clear that interest rates have not just affected bond markets, but also infrastructure, commercial property and, and some other alternative assets. So I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Ennians, a fund research analyst specialising in alternative uh, investments and infrastructure, to find out a bit more. So Matt, you spoke with Edward Lloyd on the podcast back in July, and it would be very interesting to find out what has been going on since then. But, but perhaps you could start off with a quick overview uh, on the various types of infrastructure that we invest in, their, their key characteristics and, and drivers. And perhaps you could help us understand the relationship with interest rates which has become more apparent in the current macroeconomic environment that, and certainly I had expected. Yeah, morning everyone. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um, yeah, no, no problem at all. Um, so, you know, infrastructure can sort of very simply be split into sort of three sectors. I effect effectively, you've got sort of core infrastructure, core plus infrastructure, and then renewable infrastructure as well. And as I'm sure you'll understand, there's various nuances between each one, and even within sectors, there's various nuances between. All the various trusts that we can invest in you know each each portfolio is very different they all have unique assets so bearing that in mind but just from a high level you know the core infrastructure trusts are simply sort of um, investments that uh, are in assets that provide essential services so so things like hospitals schools um, where you get very predictable revenues these are um, these are these are assets that um, are very much based on availability um, so they're usually long-term contracted revenues over sort of 20 or 30 years. And as long as those assets are available for use, then, then the uh, the owner of the asset gets paid, gets paid a revenue. So quite low risk um, as long as the assets are available and you know certainty of cash flow. So good yielding uh, low risk assets there. If you move on to core plus, um, uh, type of assets, and these are a little bit higher risk, I suppose. You're you're really in, in rather investing directly in the asset. You're investing uh, more typically in a, in a corporate entity, so a company where they've got management teams, and they're really looking to grow revenues. And and investors, you know, typically will look to exit the investment over sort of more like a five year period to make a return. Um, examples of of assets, you know, these companies invest in assets, and the, and the examples of those would be sort of things like tower companies, data centers logistics businesses. So these are still infrastructure assets, but but very much um, sort of more develop, development type of assets. So higher risk. Um, having said that, there's still contracted revenues in them. So you're still getting some good long-term cash flows within them. And, and these assets similarly yield 
quite well. And then finally, the other, the final type of um, infrastructure asset really is renewables, and that really means, as I'm sure you're aware, investing in um, in renewable assets that generate electricity, um, and they get paid for supplying the electricity to the grid. So things like wind and solar, hydro. And, and battery storage, they're the typical types of technologies that you, you get. Again, revenues on these types of, uh, these types of assets are dependent on, on sort of the, the long-term nature of, of, of the contract. So many of them will have subsidies over 10, 15 or so, so years. That makes them less risky. Some of them will have what they call per, uh, power purchasing agreements, where there's an agreement to sell uh, energy over a period of time at a certain price. Again, if you have a good our purchase agreement, then clearly that reduces the risk um, of these types of assets. So again, you can get some good long-term cash flows and good yielding assets. So that they're the sort of that's a sort of summary of the types of assets that we can invest in. Um, in terms of the impacts on these on these types of investments, um, you've got sort of in, in, we talked about interest rates um, earlier on with with Richard, and and these have had a big impact on sector as a whole um i suppose there's sort of three sort of mechanisms that, that interest rates impact on the sector i suppose thirdly when you know when you look at bond yields bond yields have gone up these types of assets given that they've got long-term cash flows are seen as bond proxies in very simple terms so at a high level there's now a substitute you know interest rates um, have gone up they're more attractive which means that there's a substitute for these types of infrastructure assets and so people have switched from infrastructure into bonds. So, uh, you know, where bonds are perceived as less risky, so so it sort of makes sense to do that. And that's had a, an impact on, on the, the returns of infrastructure uh, trusts. The second one is a little less second impact, is a little bit more technical around discount rates. So infrastructure projects are valued using the discounted cash flow model. Um, so the long-term cash flow streams are discounted at a discount rate, um, so you discount the cash flows back to the present value, and that gives you the current NAV. Um, so as interest rates go up, discount rates similarly go up, um, and when they and as they have done over the last sort of twelve or eighteen months, that will then reduce the overall uh, current value of these cash flows, um, reducing the value of of the overall assets. So that's had quite a big impact. And then finally, there is debt within the structures of, of, of investment trust. So the investment trust can gear, they have debt at, at, at the trust level. Um, and obviously as rates have gone up, that debt has become more costly and you know that, that cost has sort of reduced the overall value of the asset. So they're the sort of three mechanisms really. There, you know, just a final point on this is that there is an offsetting uh, mechanism here as well, and that's inflation. And, Typically, um, you know, as inflation goes up, interest rates go up. So there is an offsetting mechanism here where a lot of the contracts uh, within these trusts are inflation linked. So as inflation has gone up and revenues have gone up, then that's offset some of the negative factors of uh, of the impact of, of interest rates on, on these trusts. So, so it's not all one way, but interest rates haven't been a positive um, over the last few last few months or so. 
One of the key benefits of discretionary investment management is that we invest in company shares, bonds, and funds that are tradable on a, a daily basis. Now, now clearly, Matt, um, some of those investments that you were talking about, so the, the, the renewables and wind and solar farms and hospitals, uh, we're not going to invest directly in those. So, so typically, we invest in, uh, in them through collective investment funds that are either tradable on a stock exchange or directly with a, with a fund manager. And in, in the case of infrastructure, this typically tends to be the investment trust structure. So, Matt, could you tell us why the investment trust uh, structure is so commonly used for infrastructure and also the likes of commercial property than, than say, an open-ended investment company? And what are the pros and cons of that structure? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, I think I think the, the, key, the key factor here is just the permanent capital of an investment trust. So once an investment trust is launched and pe people are invested within it, then that that capital is permanent. Um, when you have an open-ended fund, um, the capital comes in, and as people sell units, then that capital can go out again. And and the key factor here is the fact that infrastructure is is obviously a very large and a liquid asset class. You're buying big lumpy assets; they're not easy to sell. And so the permanent capital is is very important here. Uh, where we've seen in the property space with open-ended uh, uh, funds, when you know there's mass redemptions you need to sell assets these open-ended funds have to close because property takes six or 12 months to to sell down and you can't meet the uh, redemption uh redemption repayment so it's a similar story in infrastructure as i say big assets um private assets illiquid there's no you know immediate secondary market you have to find a buyer so the permanent capital um is is really important um uh, to, so that's the key reason why infrastructure and private assets more generally are, are generally held in a in a in a close-ended investment trust as opposed to an open-ended fund. I think just moving on to the positives and negatives, you know, clearly most of these big assets, infrastructure assets, have historically been held in you know in private hands or in pension funds. So it's very difficult for for private investors to get access to to exposure to these to these um, to these types of assets and sectors. So I think an investment trust is really important and it, it's sort of cloned as democratization of, of private assets um, and it's made it much more liquid and accessible to uh, to private investors to get to get access to to this space i think also just you know we're obviously all aware of the amount of investment that's needed in infrastructure and renewables across not just the uk but across the globe and um, i think it, you know having a trust like this it just enables another way of enabling you know the uk to, to build these assets and you know renewables in particular to help the UK meet um, net zero requirements. So so you know it's another method of of that. And so investment trusts are a very important part of of meeting our net zero requirements. And I think finally on the positive side, you've got some good boards. Um, uh, each investment company has a board of sort of five or so people, and we've engaged a lot with these boards. They you know oversee oversee the trust and, and there's some really high quality people who've been in the sector for a while and they help oversee the investments the managers and and the capital allocation within these trusts and that's a really important factor with um with the quality of of a trust i think on the negative side we've sort of alluded to it that you can get discounts where you know the share price and the nav don't meet and you get a, a discount where you know the share price is a lot lower than than the NAV um, is suggesting the underlying assets are valued at, and that's a negative. And and as I say, the boards are important here to try and manage that by 
using various factors, you know, things like buybacks and what have you to try and reduce that. But that, that can be a negative, clearly, particularly if it persists um, and when you're not, you know, the share price is not pricing in the true value of the, the shares. And clearly the other, the other factor is potential Ill illiquidity. Although there's a secondary market for the shares of an investment trust, you know, sometimes it's not as liquid as you might want, particularly if you're dealing in, in quite a big size. And so that can be a hindrance as well for these for these vehicles. So from uh, an investment manager's perspective, infrastructure has a very useful role to play in portfolios and, and especially from uh, an income perspective. And, and, and thanks, Matt, for, for providing an overview of, of the influence of uh, macroeconomic um, uh, factors. Uh, we've also identified that in order to have that daily liquidity in what essentially are illiquid assets, we, we have to accept that the investment trust structure does come with an, an element of equity risk in, in terms of that uh, premium discount mechanism, and, and that can have a, an adverse effect during periods of stress, which, which we've um, been experiencing recently. So um, finally, Matt, in terms of an update since you spoke with Edward last sub summer, and, and that has been a very uh, volatile period for financial markets, what has been happening with uh, infrastructure and what are your thoughts for the coming year? Are, are we simply waiting for interest rates to be cut or for market sentiment to improve, to narrow those, those discounts? Or will there be other factors to watch out for? We, of course, do potentially have a, a UK election coming up. And could the prospect of a Labour government have an impact and, and perhaps notably on uh, private financial initiatives? Yeah, I think broadly, um, the outlook is, is is pretty positive, to be honest. I, I don't think you can get away from the fact, as you've suggested, that interest rates are going to have a big impact on, on the progress of, of these sectors going forward this year and beyond. Um, you know, I think we are well, hopefully close to peak rates. And as soon, once we do get some more clarity on that and more visibility on, on the path of rates, then I think the sector should start to perform much better, particularly if we start to see interest rates cuts later in the year. So I think there's no doubting that that's, you know, pretty, pretty important for this space this year. In terms of politics, um, I think, you know, you'll remember back in the previous election when Jeremy Corbyn suggested that he was going to rip up all the private public partnership contracts. And I know that would have had a, a huge impact on some of the, the core infrastructure, infrastructure space. Clearly, that hasn't happened. And I think things have moved on from there. So you know, we see the Conservative and Labour Party are very constructive on sort of the net zero policies and infrastructure spend more generally. So I, I don't see any immediate sort of impact in terms of policy. Um, I think maybe if you get some policies that could potentially put pressure on, you know, government spending or, or the deficit, uh, which again, you know, will impact interest rates, then that could have an impact on the sector. But I don't think they'll, you know, it doesn't, at the moment, at least, seem that we'll see anything from a policy perspective that could, you know, around uh, infrastructure that, that should um, derail um, derail the, the investment case. I don't think. You know, I think you know, there's a lot of as I've sort of suggested previously. I think you know, as interest rates, we do get more clarity on interest rates. Then I think you know, the sector as a whole should rally. But I think as we move forward, there'll be quite a um, stock stock selection will be quite important. Um, I think trusts that have done a lot of work on managing their debt levels, um, you know, carrying out buybacks, doing good capital, making good capital allocation decisions, um, making sure they've got strong pipelines of, of future investments going forward and really sort of demonstrating that, you know, they've got a long term 
growth path from here will do very well and and i think potentially some of the bigger more liquid trusts as well but i think you know there will be some trusts that that perhaps go by the wayside you know smaller trusts ones that haven't been managed particularly well or the boards haven't been particularly proactive and they may get left behind eventually i think and we have seen some some merger and acquisition activity across you know the infrastructure space as well as you know the broader um, investment tr trust sectors and, and i wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that as as, as boards really want to maneuver themselves into a position where they've got a long-term future but um, but i think as a whole you know things look reasonably positive if we get some clarity on rates and the way the discounts are today they're pricing in a lot of bad news still even though we've seen you know a bit of a, a reduction in the discount so i think there's some potentially positive uh, uh positive returns to come from from the trust in the coming months and years well Thank you very much, Matt, and to Richard for those great insights today, and to you all for listening. Did you enjoy our discussions on the podcast today? We love to hear from our listeners, so please review the show now wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at Kudachiviet. To make sure you don't miss a future episode, tap the subscribe button. We'll be back next week, and in the meantime, head over to our website, www.kudachiviet.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. Finally, if you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast, then simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you again to Richard and Matt and to you all for listening. See you next time.